Turn in your uh, Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. Uh, If you're visiting, we have been going through a series through the Sermon on the Mount called The Good Life, and we're right now in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, something beloved to many of you and a lot of people even who do not consider themselves churchgoers. This is the famous words of Jesus. How do you pray? How do you address the Father? How do you come to him? We've been going through this line by line, just digesting and meditating on each of these lines, <clears throat> not, not just to explain what they mean, although we're, we're certainly attempting to do that, but, but what it means to pray in our own life, how it changes our lives to pray this kingdom-minded prayer. And right now, as you heard in the testimony, we're looking at this line, give us this day. I'm just gonna read the whole thing so we can kind of uh, come at it from a bird's eye view and then we'll hone in on that verse together for the next few minutes. Matthew 6, verse nine through 13, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, pray then this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's word. Let me pray. Lord, one thing have we asked of the Lord that we might seek after, that we might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You have said to us, seek my face, and our hearts say back to you, your face, Lord, we do seek. We ask that as we open our eyes to search your word, that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts to receive the kingdom of God, that we would be changed. And I pray that this prayer would be dynamic and alive and stirring in our hearts for the things that matter to you most. And thank you, Lord, that you have not forgotten our most basic needs. And thank you that you are our Heavenly Father and that you care, yes, about the cosmos, yes, about the kingdom, also care about our daily bread. And I pray that that would persuade us. It would cause us to fall on our knees and worship the God who cares. We, we exalt your holy name in this place and we ask that you would now teach us, that you would change us, that you would send us out in the image of your beloved son. In your name, amen. So if you've been, uh, if you've been listening to the duration of this prayer so far, we're halfway done. I don't know if you've caught this pattern as we've been going through it line by line, but the first half has had kind of a flavor to it, hasn't it? It's been very Godward and upward and outward. Ways perhaps that we have not been <clears throat> trained or used to praying. Uh, we're generally used to, at least I am, used to coming with my needs and coming with uh, my life. But Jesus tells us to pray and he tells us to start off in a very particular way. Hallowed be your name, our Father. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And so right out the gate in the Lord's Prayer, there is this sense that when we come to pray, our prayers and our vision and our hearts and our minds should start Start this way. 
that as we are focused on heaven and focused on our king, then we can kind of go down from there. And this is that place where we find a hinge. We've been speaking about God and his kingdom and his will and his name. And now we start to speak about uh, our sustenance and our forgiveness and our deliverance. If we get anything from that structure, can we at least get this? That only a right view of God will give us a right view of ourselves. It's only when we know God that we truly know ourselves and subsequently each other. It's only when we have a right relationship to God, when we have a right view of God that we can relate to others in a healthy way, that we can relate to ourselves in a healthy way. It's only through healing and reconciliation to our God that healing and reconciliation in our own hearts, emotions, spirit, mind, and relationships can occur. So we have to get that. We have to get that. And I believe that's what Jesus has been drilling down. But he's also not a God who just exists far off, shouting down orders to his minions. That is not the God we serve. It is, after all, our Father. We are his children. And he immediately moves from that grand, panoramic view of the heavens to our most basic needs. Now ask for your daily bread. Now ask for your most basic needs. You know, in the first few centuries, some of the early church fathers just could not wrap their heads around such a menial thing to pray for. People like Tertullian would uh, uh, kind of distort, or I shouldn't say distort, but they would spiritualize this phrase and saying, well, it, couldn't, it can't be something so menial as our needs and our actual bread. It must be a spiritual thing. And so they would spiritualize it till you get <clears throat> down the road to some of the, uh, especially some of the reformers, Calvin and Luther would look at this with a literalistic view and say, no, I think God actually cares in his heaven about the food on our table. I think he actually cares about the clothes on our back. Now, maybe not your lust for Versace, but he certainly cares about you being clothed and food on the table and a roof over your head and he He cares about your basic needs. He's not that twisted form of God who just wants your heart to get right but your body to go to waste. Funny thing about this word, a a word that's translated daily. Give us this day our daily bread. So a lot of people over the years have had a hard time translating it. One writer uh, tells us the trouble is that this particular word, uh, the word is uh, in the original, epiousios, epiousios. The trouble is that that particular word that's translated as daily appears nowhere in the Greek language outside of the Lord's Prayer. It's not anywhere else in the Bible. It's not anywhere else in antiquity. <clears throat> Origen, a famous Greek scholar in the early third century, wrote that he could not find this word in use among the Greeks or even used among private individuals you know, romping around Alexandria. It wasn't used by anyone. It wasn't in writings. It's not even in other places in the Bible. And so he concluded in the third century that it must have been created by this evangelist. You ever have a, uh, you ever had a, have a young kid who just like doesn't have a, a, a wide vocabulary yet and yet he's, he or she is just wanting, just this felt need and just doesn't know quite what to say and so they just, just speak gibberish. My kid does that all the time, both of them. <laughs> 
especially the youngest one because he can't say anything in English. And so they just, they just make up words uh, that's matching what they're trying to express in their mind. It almost seems like the gospel writer Matthew is doing that. I don't know if he is, but it seems like it. He's making up his own word to describe something. The problem with that is nobody knows what he's saying. And so different people, different scholars are bent between two different meanings. Again, what we're reading as that word daily. Some would say it's referring to today's bread. Others would say it's referring to tomorrow's bread. So in in your Bibles, you might even look and see uh, in some of them in the margins, it'll have that that alternative reading, tomorrow's bread. And you say, well, okay, what, what does this mean? And most, by the way, most scholars would prefer that latter. Give us today tomorrow's bread. Give us today our bread for tomorrow. And I think that if there's any ambiguity in what the word daily means, it's brought clarity by the rest of the sentence. Whatever it happens to be, whether it's today or tomorrow, it is something that's needed today. Whether it's today or tomorrow, it's something that's needed right now. It is the immediate pressing felt needs that all humans have, whether it's our stomachs or whether it's our backs or whether uh, it's our housing or whether it's just basic things that all people everywhere should have, basic needs, basic humanitarian needs. It's something needed this day. Hence, it's why translators doing the best that they can would say our daily bread. We need it right now. Now that type of prayer can easily be lost on a culture like ours. It can be easily lost on a culture like ours because we don't generally live day to day. Oh, some of us might. But if anything, even the most impoverished, we tend to, and this comes up in our, our language, living month to month, living paycheck to paycheck. Maybe you get a paycheck every two weeks. Maybe you get it uh, every week. Maybe you get it monthly. But you, uh, for those of you that are in that position, even for you, it's month to month or week to week. And so we kind of have an idea, at least a small idea. But in Jesus' day, to give you a picture of what he was attempting to address, laborers were commonly given a paycheck every day. And they were given... They were given payment for the work that they had achieved that day, and that pay was so uh, frequently so abysmally small, so low, that it was almost impossible to save any of it. Perhaps you know what that feels like, too. Therefore, the day's purchase was for that day's food. You worked, you got that amount of money, you paid for that day's food. Next day, you started again. Moreover, the society was largely agrarian, so they worked with the soil. They worked with their hands, with plants and agriculture, and that meant that one crop failure meant a major disaster. Imagine the drought that we're in right now happening to the Greeks or to the Hebrews in the first century. Done. Starvation on a mass scale. They're walking a fine line of desperation. That's the the context being spoken of here in such a society, for Jesus to tell them to pray, give us today our daily bread, was no empty rhetoric. This is the type of thing that we have to put ourselves back into, the view we have to have in order for this prayer to knock our socks off and to really carry deep meaning. I love the testimony we heard from Susie, 
there was that moment where <clears throat> we were $35 short, it sounded like, on rent. And some, maybe perhaps some of you have felt that in a variety of ways. You don't know where it's going to come from. And it's a big deal. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. I don't know how I'm going to take care of my kids. I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family. I don't know how I'm going to get through this particular difficulty. And in that moment, she said, I, we trusted in God our provider. There was nothing left. There was no money. There was no sustenance. There was nothing at the bottom of the barrel left but to trust. That's the kind of thing Jesus seems to be getting at. This prayer is a posture of constant dependence on God. Before you can ever pray, give us today our daily bread. With any level of honesty and transparency, you must be coming first from a posture of constant dependence on God. This type of praying, this type of attitude, this view of God shows up all over the Bible. One of my favorites is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. What do most of you think, and this is a famous passage, right? A lot of you know it. What do most of you envision when you think of green pastures? Perhaps you think of the Shire. <laughs> Just wading slow motion through waist-high piles of wheat and grass. Green pastures. You know what that imagery evokes in us, even subconsciously when we pray it? God will help me <clears throat> by bringing me to a place where I will be self-sufficient. Green pastures. He's the one who leads me to green pastures where I'm surrounded by a jungle of everything that I've ever needed. God will give me that breakthrough, and once I get there, green pastures, baby. I won't need God ever because he will lead me to be self-sufficient. You know the funny thing about green pastures? That's an actual place. It's an actual spot in Israel, going back centuries where shepherd boys and shepherd girls used to bring flocks of sheep. And if you were to go there, and if you were to Google it, and if you were to see pictures of it, you know what you would see? You wouldn't see the Shire. You would see desert. Middle East. I don't know if you know. There's some deserts. <coughs> In this particular place, there's also lush gardens too. But the shepherds didn't get the lush gardens. They got green pastures. And if you were to go to this particular place, you would see shepherds leading sheep along this rocky quarry. Think of a, two mountains coming together, two hills, forming a valley, and shepherds leading their sheep along that side of the valley, that, uh, along the side of that hillside, grazing their sheep. And if you were to look from, a, you know, 100 yards, you would be baffled. It would look like they were eating rocks or gravel. But if you were to walk close, closer, maybe you know, within eye shot, you would see something very particular. They're, they're eating these little shrubs at the bottom of these rocks. You see, even though it's very hot over in Israel, uh, in this particular place, very humid, it doesn't rain, so there's not, a, you know, there's not a lot of greenery. But there is a dew that falls in the middle of the night and it catches on these little rocks spread out here and there, rolls down the rocks and by morning there is a little shoot of green. It's a little shrub, it's barely a mouthful. And the shepherd is leading those sheep from shrub to shrub to shrub all day. That's the green pastures. The image that is being evoked by King David in the psalm about the great shepherd is not of this God who leads you to where you will be all sufficient. 
It's an image of God leading you from shrub to shrub. It is an image of constant and continual dependence. You get a little mouthful here, and then your great shepherd leads you to the next place. And you get a little mouthful here, and he leads you to the next place. And you are never, with, uh, you are never without eye shot of your great shepherd. You need him just to survive. It is out of that that Jesus says, pray this way. Give us today our daily bread. I need you every day. I need you every moment. Say, de- uh, dependent on what? Well, in this prayer, it's bread. And in the ancient Greek world, that meant, you know, that was pretty clear what that meant. That meant to survive. It meant your needs. It meant food on the table. For us, I, don't, I think it would be fair and accurate to uh, somewhat expand upon that to mean uh, things that keep us alive. <laughs> Our basic needs. Food on the table. A roof over our head. Decent clothes on our backs. Needs. Basic felt needs. Physical bread. You know why this is so good? You know why this, this line that staggered people like Tertullian and other of his contemporaries because they didn't think God would possibly have that in mind? I know God cares about my heart and my salvation, but he cares about food on my table? Surely he's not that intimate and acquainted with my ways, Psalm 139. This is so good because everybody has felt needs. And where do you turn to when you find yourself desperate in that place? When you find yourself not able to carry on? Everybody has felt needs. Everybody has something that they need. And in our fallen nature, in our desire to be self-sufficient, where do we turn? Where have you turned when you couldn't make rent? Where have you turned when you couldn't put food on the table? Or even when it was getting to that place and your thoughts begin to form. For some of us, we worry. Our days are plagued with striving and hoarding and our nights are crippled with worry. We go to sleep thinking about what we're gonna do tomorrow. We wake up the next day thinking about how we're gonna survive. We are If we are, to be honest, some of us, afraid. That fear will drive you places. That fear comes from a deep sense of insecurity. I am insecure. I don't know how I'm going to take care of myself. I am insecure. And that fear will drive you to take life into your own hands. You say, well, yeah, obviously but if I could just make a little bit more, my life will be fine. If I just had enough, if I had more than enough, my life would be even better. Come on. Haven't we heard enough testimonies from enough people with enough to know that that's just not true? I can't tell you how many stories I have personally heard and seen from millionaires Billionaires who after making their killing still never lost that fear. It just exacerbated it for them. Now they're rich and fearful times 10. Now they just have the money to fuel their fear. 
The personnel of six armed guards worried that someone is gonna take all of their stuff, hiding their money away, putting it into this and putting it into that and constantly going to sleep at night wondering if it's all gonna disappear. That greed, that drive to always want more and more and more, it just never goes away. Fear and insecurity can be with you when you're rich. Fear and insecurity can be with you when you're poor. There must be a different answer. Give us today our daily bread. We would have to say, given the rest of the testimony of the New Testament, that our daily bread consists not just of physical bread. It is primarily that. Jesus is saying, hey, your father will take care of your needs. We'd also have to say, given how Jesus often speaks, that it means our spiritual bread too. You wanna be free from fear and insecurity? Bite into spiritual bread. God doesn't just sustain his people's physical needs, but spiritual as well. I love this story in John chapter six, verse 25 through 35. Jesus had just got done feeding 5,000 people physical bread the biggest display of his miraculous power. He met people's felt need in a moment. And everybody is going berserk. It says in verse 25, I'm just gonna skip through some of these lines for time, but I, uh, I don't know if it's up there, but whatever. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they, yes. <clears throat> they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me, but not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. I gave you a snack, now you're trying to look for me. That's what he's saying. (laughs) Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Listen to this. Then they, they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, well, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Keep in mind, he just fed 5,000 people with a cracker and a couple fish. What sign will you do? We've seen signs, Lord, and I'm paraphrasing. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Beat that, Lord. I mean, I know you multiply it, all of this stuff, but we know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy who heard a story about a guy named Moses who saw this God drop bread down from heaven. Can you do that? Listen to Jesus. Truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. (laughs) It's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Don't read ahead. Jesus is saying this. People are saying this. We saw, we heard about a person who did a thing that heard something about a story about Moses, about bread or something falling from somewhere. Can you do that? Jesus said, you heard a thing about a thing about a thing from a person? I know that person. And he dropped manna down from heaven one time, but there will be another time where he will drop bread, not just for the people of Israel and not just for a day. He will drop the bread of heaven down to satisfy you for eternity. Show us this bread, Lord. Oh my goodness. Where is it? And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I think we have to have this two-part view of our God, who, yes, cares about our physical needs, but really cares about our spiritual needs. And the two are not mutually opposed. He wants to feed you, he wants to clothe you, but he also wants to heal you. He also wants to save you. And faith in Jesus is the cure of souls. Are you insecure? Are you afraid of tomorrow? Do you not know what life has in store for you? Does that shake you up? Do you go to bed crippled by grief, fear, and worry, and anxiety? Faith in Christ is the cure of your soul. You say, what does that mean, faith in Christ? It means exactly what he said. The work of God is this, to believe in me. Believe that everything that I said is true. Believe in me enough to follow me the rest of your life, and your soul will be cured. Your mind will be sustained. Your body will be sustained. Your soul will be sustained. And he will provide for you spiritual bread and physical bread. Now, it might not always be what you think you need. You might be praying, God, give me my daily bread. I need a job, and I need this job, the one with this amount of figures in this place uh, in the eastern Mediterranean by the sea. That would be awesome. I need it, Lord. And he might not give you that. You know what this prayer forms your mind to think he has a better idea of what you need and he will always give you what you need. He's your father. Didn't he also say in the gospel of Luke, if our earthly fathers being evil know how to give us good gifts, how much more so our heavenly fathers know how to give good things to those who ask? Good thing might not be what you describe as good, but it will always be good. God is always good. We'll always have needs, but here's three things that'll happen if you learn to trust God by praying for your daily bread. And what I'm speaking about is a spiritual discipline. Praying this, even if you don't, even if you don't believe it, you pray it until you do. You pray this prayer and it will form what you believe. It will form what you think. It will renew your mind. It will change your heart until the point where you actually believe that he is your all-sustaining great shepherd. And you will, by the desire of your own heart, follow him. There's three things that it'll do. This prayer, when you begin to pray it, will cause you to grow more dependent on God. Did you get that card, uh, that little glossy card with the Lord's Prayer on your way in? If you didn't, you can grab one at the back. It just has the Lord's Prayer on it. We've been doing this every week. Let's just learn the Lord's Prayer, if you haven't already, and pray it every day. Just recite it verbatim. And in a month, see if it has not changed how you think about God, yourself, about life, about others. It will, one, cause you to be more dependent on God. Every time you ask him, give us. You are putting yourself in a vulnerable state to ask someone for help. You're admitting your helplessness to say, in fact, I need something. Give me my daily bread. You will start to grow more content with what you do have. Because when you get your daily bread, you will understand that this is what God believes that I need. And if that's what I need, whether it's little or a lot, that's all I need. You'll be able to grow more content with that. Not being plagued by what you don't have. That's real freedom right there. That's true godliness, the Apostle Paul tells us. You may say, 
okay, so I'm praying this prayer and it'll cause me to be dependent on others and content with the little that I have. That's not very attractive, bro. That's not the American dream. I thought I was coming to church to learn about the American dream. The American dream is that I can be free from being dependent on people and I can make a name for myself and I can have anything that I want and I can have as much as I want and I have the right to not be content with the little that I have. What could Jesus do that can parallel that? Why would I want to be dependent and content, the opposite of my dreams and ambitions? I'll tell you why. Because what Jesus has to offer is what the American dream can never hope to offer you. Namely, peace of mind and heart. Didn't Jesus say, my peace I give you, not as the world gives you, do I give you. I've got something that no one down here this side of heaven can offer you. I freely give it, but you've got to come to me. You see if wealth and riches and success and clout and social uh, anxiety and social connection and stature give you the happiness you've been dying to come after. You see if it helps you fall asleep at night. You come to Jesus and you will find a cure for your souls. My peace I give you, not as the American dream pretends to offer. Ultimately, That's what being dependent on God and content with what you have is a fruit of. Because at the end of the day, you're saying, I have what I need, and I'm not, I don't need what I don't have, so that cuts out envy. You look at people differently, you look at what you have now, you are now coming at it from a place of gratitude and thanksgiving rather than envy. When you're dependent on God, you're able to follow him knowing that everywhere he takes you is gonna be the right place so you don't have to worry about tomorrow. Out of this is peace of mind, knowing that God is in control. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 26 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, who trusts in you. That's where peace comes from, a person who knows the Lord and walks with him day by day. It's from that peace you'll find you're able to act and relate to other people in a different way. No longer do you need them for your own selfish gain and all the cutthroat action that, that, that comes out of that. Now you actually will find yourself wanting to bless people. You've been blessed to be a blessing. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called to as one body and be thankful. You'll be able to care for others out of a surplus of your heart rather than take advantage of others out of a deficiency in your heart. Again, this comes from that word, our Father. There's no me, myself, and I in the Lord's Prayer. It's all our and us. My daily needs are also your daily needs. And when my daily needs are met, it begins to give me eyes for your daily needs. And when the community of God is transformed by this prayer of God, we'll start to look out for each other a little more than we were. Praying this prayer will teach you to rely on the hand of God moment by moment. And in doing so, will give you peace to weather the storms in life. That is, after all, what peace is. It is the God-given ability to rest in any circumstances because you know that God is in control. How do you get there? 
Well, Jesus tells us, just start praying. Give us our daily bread. Wake up in the morning. Let that be the first thing that rolls off your mouth. Give us this day our daily bread. When you go to sleep, go to sleep with that the last thing on your mind. God, thank you for providing what I needed for today. You can recite it verbatim. You can turn it into your own prayer. Whatever it is, coat your mind with that prayer and you will grow more dependent on your Lord. I actually wanna do that right now for a few minutes. Uh, We have been through the duration of the Lord's Prayer praying together uh, in various ways and the vision behind that, just the, the explanation behind that is to expose you to different forms of prayer. So you know there's a lot of different rich ways to commune with the Lord, not just one. And I'm doing this because I want you to catch one of them or something. Even if it's none of them, I want you to be on a pursuit to find that connection. If praying in a group isn't that thing that connects very well, then maybe this one will be. If this isn't it, maybe it's moments of silence in the presence of God. There are a variety of ways to pray as long as you pray. And so I've been using various Uh, ways to express our prayers to God as we've been praying through the Lord's Prayer. We're gonna pray along the lines of praying for our daily bread, but we're gonna do it this way. The first week, we prayed corporately. We all stood up, and we just gave thanksgiving to God. Hallowed be your name. We praised and hallowed his name, just shouted out his attributes and gave him glory. That was awesome. The second week, we broke off into small groups, and we just began to pray for his kingdom to come in our own lives. And in that way, we're, we're connecting with one another and we're agreeing with one another. That's another form of prayer. Today, I wanna do something that perhaps some of you have never even heard of in your life. We're gonna pray pre-existing written prayers. If you've been going to reality for any amount of time or really any contemporary church, this is the weirdest thing you've ever heard in your life. <clears throat> Why on earth would I pray a prayer that someone else wrote? I'll give you three reasons. One, because it'll help you pray. This might not be for everybody, but for some of you, this might be just the thing you need. Many contemporary worshipers define prayer as this, spontaneously coming up with words in the moment that are both unique and heartfelt. Try to do that in a moment of crisis. That's how we often think of prayer. Okay, it's a conversation, it's a form, right? But that's the only way we think of prayer sometimes. It's a conversation and I have to kind of come up with unique words to express to God. Now, if you're not good at articulating words, if words don't come to you easy, especially in moments of difficulty and crisis, you might find yourself discouraged about prayer. Because your definition is, well, prayer is coming up with words and I'm not good at coming up with words, so I'm not very good at prayer. For some of you, that has decimated your prayer life. You don't talk to God because you don't think you're good at it. Brothers and sisters, I want to rekindle your prayer life right now. Because prayer has nothing to do with the cleverness of your words. Prayer merits nothing by writing uh, by writing our own. We merit nothing by writing our own prayers. In fact, if you look at Christian history, many prayers were written and recited by the people of God. Do you know right now what we're reading in the scriptures? The Lord's Prayer, a pre-existing 
written prayer that Jesus told us to recite. The Psalms, which have often been called the prayer book of God. Jews and Hebrews for centuries would ascend to the city of Jerusalem, making their pilgrimage, reciting the Psalms of Ascent. They were prayed publicly. They were prayed privately. They were prayed in the prayer of the hours. They were sung. They were chanted. They were meditated on. The word of God functions as a prayer book. In those moments when I don't even know exactly what I'm feeling, I love opening up to the Psalms to someone who centuries before knows exactly how I'm feeling. Borrow their words and usher them up to God. Written prayers often give wings to burdens my heart desperately feels, but my mouth is unable to articulate. You ever find yourself saying the same thing over and over, day after day after day? Just growing in redundance? Pick up a psalm and just cry it out. Second, praying written prayers... uh, and this is specific to today, but praying out loud with other people can often make us aware that we're not alone. You know what? One of my favorite parts of corporate worship is when the music abruptly ends and you just hear voices singing a cappella. I don't know know if this has the same effect on you, but when I hear hundreds of voices singing glory to the Lord, it does something to me. It, it, it stops me in whatever I'm thinking and causes me to remember, oh, wow, I'm not, I'm not walking with Jesus in this city by myself. There are hundreds of other people learning to follow Christ, and our eyes are fixed on his glory. It's very encouraging to me. It's the same thing when you pray a psalm together. Lastly, praying written prayers is a spiritual discipline. It trains us to get our view of God right. When I pray, I generally digress into everything that I need and everything that's not going wrong. God cares about that stuff. But the Psalms will cause you to see the glory of God. And we need a, we need a glimpse of that every so often. You're training your mind to worship God in your prayer life. Now this can range, you know, this is, By far not a new thing. Lots of churches all over the world have been doing it for centuries. Sometimes people use prayer books. But at the very simplest, if this is something that really catches fire in your heart, if it helps your prayer life, you can start most simply by opening up to the Psalms. It means you gotta read them. You gotta be familiar with them. So I would just read them every day. Read one a day, two a day, three a day, whatever. Just get used to them. After a while, you'll start to know what they're talking about. And you'll find that they experience the full range of emotions. Everything that people experience is encapsulated in the Psalms. How easy is it and how beautiful is it to open them up and to offer them on your own behalf to God. Spirit-inspired Psalms that are articulating the very thing that you need to bring before God. I wanna do that right now. I have selected several Psalms today along the theme of God being our provider. I've selected a passage from both the Old and New Testament, and I even got a little weird for us, I mean, and selected an ancient prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. It's beautiful. These passages are not randomly chosen. I've selected them to bring us from one point to another. We're gonna start with Psalms of Praise, as God says, hallowed be your name, as Jesus says, We're gonna start with a place of praise. We're gonna move into psalms of reflection. Reflect 
on areas that we have not trusted in God for our provision. We're gonna move into a time of confession, using prayers to confess those areas that we have not trusted. We will move then into a place of affirmation, confessing over ourselves that God has forgiven us and has pushed us forward. And then we'll end with a declaration, a prayer together. God, move us forward. And then we'll sing. Some of these I will pray. Some we will pray. At some points, we'll just be quiet and reflect. But if you would, could you just stand up with me? Lord, we turn to you now and our mouths declare your praise. I made this super easy. On the screen, it's gonna have this word. It says facilitator. I should have just wrote Chris Lazo. <laughs> but whatever, facilitator. That's, that's something I'm gonna say to you, person to person, declaration of God to you. Anything that says all, that's our prayer together. Shout it out to the rooftop and encourage each other. As we stand together, let me just open up with a praise for our God who provides. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let us give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. We don't just praise him, but we can also come before our Father in our weakness and find assurance in his love. So let's do that right now all together. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. O oh God, rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. And I say back to you, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him, for God is a refuge for us. Let's, in obedience to that, take a time of silence to pour out our hearts before the Lord. And specifically, let's do this for 30 seconds. Let's examine our hearts and bring before him what areas have I failed to trust in my God, the provider. Let's just do that together for 30 seconds. Whatever that is, as Christ commanded, let's now together confess our sins before God and before one another, knowing that he forgives. Let's pray this together. Most merciful God, best you in word and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, 
have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Hear what the scripture declares about your God. Who is a God like ours? Who pardons sin? Who forgives our offenses? He does not stay angry with you forever, but delights to show mercy upon you. Once again, he has compassion on us. He treads our sins underfoot and hurls our transgressions into the depths of the sea. May we all say together, thanks be to God. I'm gonna call up the worship team right now. You can remain standing, you can sit as you are able. But as a worship team comes up to lead us into praise and thanksgiving and more of these things through singing and song, let us now pray together what Paul the Apostle said long ago. Let's turn this into a prayer as we move forward. Let's pray this together. May we know how to be brought low, and may we know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, Lord, teach us the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And may we do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens us. Amen. Amen.